Welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio. I am your host, SM Gaines. Today is part two of our four-part series celebrating Black History Month. Today, we're going to be talking about estate planning. We're going to make sure that your portfolio is tight and your money is right. Joining me today is attorney Audwin Levisor. Audwin, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, thank you for having me, lady. I, I really appreciate being here today. Can you tell us a little about your background and what you do? Sure. And, and as an initial disclaimer, right? Yes, I am an attorney by background. Um, I presently work for uh, Axial Family Advisors. We are a financial service company based in South Florida. We are Black-owned, and in my capacity here in Florida, I am I work as a family wealth advisor. Uh, we help clients in a number of different capacities, from asset management to estate planning to retirement planning and other types of financial planning. Uh, so I'm not engaged in the practice of law, uh, and I'll leave the caveat out there to say that you know any kind of remarks or opinions I give today are really for purposes of uh, expressing my personal opinion and kind of even my, you know, engaging in an academic discussion with you uh, about estate planning uh, for you and, and your listeners. Can you explain to the audience exactly what estate planning is for those who might not know anything about the subject? It, it is a loaded term. Uh, and it's a kind of an archaic term of art. Um, it's mm -hmm. a legal term of art, right? At the end of the day, estate planning pertains to the an individual or even a, in a business, but predominantly we're talking about people. So an individual's management of their personal affairs and the transition of their assets, both while they're living and, and when they're passed, right? A colloquial way of saying it is the process of getting your ish together for your right. family. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's essentially what estate planning is at a high level. So say someone is like, OK, I want to make sure that my family is taken care of. I want to make sure that I'm setting up the next generation so they don't have to go through the struggles that I went through as a child. What would be the first steps that someone would take to say, OK, I'm at that age where I want to get this done. What's the first step? Do they contact an attorney? Is there something that they, they could just start like a 401, not a 401k, like an investment? What should they do to, to start off? Well, I mean, look, I, I think um, because there are areas in this uh, line of work that are very legally driven, right? They're legal based. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt to consult with a lawyer, right? Nor does it hurt to consult with per se a financial advisor, Right. Um, you know, maybe you know someone at a large shop at, uh, you know, at a Northwestern Mutual or, uh, you know, a New York Life or, you know, Axial Family Advisors, <laughs> right? Uh, th there will be shameless plugging going on in this conversation. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> okay. But the, the main point of what I, I, I say this is, is the, the, the point here is the, the starting point is really forming the intention of saying, look, there is an ominous event that will happen to me mm -hmm. that happens to everyone else on planet Earth, right? Right. Um, and unfortunately, uh, we don't know the time or date, 
of when that happens. So it does behoove one to get prepared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having a consultation about an attorney uh, and with an attorney about, you know, what you could be thinking about, along with just starting to take a personal inventory of your assets, right? Just make a list of what do I got? What do I owe? Mm -hmm. What would I like to give? Who do I want to take care of when I'm gone? You know, maybe it's my kids. Maybe it's my nephew or nieces. Maybe I want to give something to my church, you know? So I think it's, it's sort of taking stock of where you're at uh, and, and how do you want certain assets, you know, whatever your asset level to be, to be transferred. And then maybe having a conversation, I think with both, maybe an attorney, a consultation with an attorney, and even having a conversation with a, someone, you know, in the financial industry, and we can get into that a little bit later, but I do think it's very important that you, you position yourself to start talking to legal people and money people in this line of conversation, because the advice that they give can gel together. But if you're not talking to both, you could be missing out on something very helpful to your personal estate, meaning that things that you own currently, uh, because you, you, you didn't kind of merge conversations about finances in the context of legal estate planning. In the African-American community, I have to address this. We don't plan for, we, especially we don't do um, planning for estates. I would say maybe between 60 to 70% might not even have wills. There are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of myths about estate planning that I've had conversations with people in my circle. They just don't think it's necessary. And I wanted to go first ask you, why do you think that is in our community where we just don't talk about it? You hear about, okay, someone passes away. Here goes the GoFundMe accounts again. So why do you think that is? So look, this is a, a, a difficult question. Uh, and on a high level, it, it, I think your statistics are, are, are right on par with the statistics that I'm aware of, right? Mm -hmm. There's like maybe 30 to 35% of African-Americans have any type of estate plan in place at all at the time of death. And there are statistics that show they're kind of old, that the absence of an estate plan in African-American communities can literally cost our communities about $2 billion yes. a year, right? So it's kind of difficult to have conversations about how do we close the wealth gap, right? Between the have and the have nots, or how do we close the wealth gaps between demographics, between black folks and white folks and other types of demographics. If within our very own households, we're, we're not positioned or prepared to render assets to the next generation. Right. And this to me is like alarming. This is like a really, really serious issue that we take very seriously at Axial, right? Because if you and I, as African-Americans in the U.S., have the highest rate of mortality to that of any other demographic in the U.S., right? So you name it, whether it's heart disease, cancer, diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, all other kinds of things, the popular reasons of why people die in the U.S., maybe sans one or two exceptions, 
African-American males and, and females generally have the highest rate of mortality in those areas, right? So right. even though people generally tend to live longer in today's society, we still have the highest rate of mortality. And so here we are, we have the highest rate of mortality, yet the least level of preparedness. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then we transfer the least to the next generation, right? And so it's, it's a big problem. And why that is, 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 is a little bit unclear. I think a lot of it just has to do with mentality and education, like what you were saying earlier in terms of, you know, the, the discussion about death being very hard to have generally, right? That's yeah. not an easy discussion to have. Uh, and also, you know, being aware of how handling this process comprehensively could really help out your family or your next generation. Uh, I think there's an information gap about that uh, in our community as well. Um, you know, and, definitely, and think, definitely. Yeah, I, and and thirdly, I would say, um, it, yeah, I mean, it, some of us just have the the wrong mentality about this. I mean, this is, you know, some some of our families think that estate planning is limited to funeral planning. Right. Right. Yes. When we're not just talking about who's paying for your funeral, we're talking about how can you convey assets, whether it be your personal property, whether it be real property, whether it be just information, right? Information that you think that you've accumulated and come to know along the way. And how can you package that information to a next generation um, so that they can leverage what you've leveraged, right? Or what you've right. come to know in life. And the irony is, is that, you know, in other contexts, right? African-American families are all about legacy, right? Yeah. When it comes to legislative movements, when it comes to 1960s civil rights movements, when it comes to present day civil mm -hmm. rights movements, right? There are a lot of organizations and there are a lot of leaders, even in our contemporary times, that are very serious and do really phenomenal work when it comes to building opportunities for our next generation. So legacy planning is not foreign African American. It's frankly how we survived in the U.S. Right? Yeah. It's, it's it's legacy planning is not is not a foreign concept to us. I think what 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 what's necessary is bridging that focus on helping the next legacy in discussions, into discussions about transfer of assets, even if we don't have much. And I think that's, that's that connect that has to happen. I also think that, that African-Americans think that, okay, if I have a will, that's enough. I'm all set. I have a will. Or they might think, well, I only make X amount of dollars a year. How am I going to set something up? How, how much money do you need to even start thinking about things like that. I mean, you don't have to be a, a billionaire or a millionaire to, to, to put money on the side for the next generation. What, what do you think about that? People are like, oh, I only make, I, I work part-time. It's not enough. I think that every penny counts. I, I think your instincts are right on point. Um, and, you know, there are many authors who write on this subject. And, and I think across the board, all of them tend to say, regardless of how much you have, um, comprehensive estate planning is critical. And I would even argue too, that even the less you have 
probably the more important it comes, right? If right. I came from a multimillionaire family and- You're already we're set. All, we're already set, <laughs> you know, and some person passes, it's just a matter of how much more we're going to get tomorrow, exactly. right? That, that's right. not, you know, that, that's kind of not a deep discussion. But when you're talking about, you know, a family where maybe the only asset is a home, right? Mm-hmm. But the home is paid or almost paid. Or even in today's real estate market, where in a lot of different communities, you know, these these real estate prices have skyrocketed, right? Now, yes. now that <laughs> now that asset is could be very impactful for your family. And so, how can you convey that act, asset, um, either for benefit of your purposes of yourself, or even to the next generation, in a way where it's tax efficient, mm-hmm. where in a way where it can happen as planned and as directed as you wanted without contest uh, from other third parties, you know, that that single asset might be, you know, a boon for someone else or even yourself. Right. And maybe if you're selling that asset today and you figured out a way to defer the capital gains on the sale and then, you know, if you have any and then reposition those gains into funding some other asset vehicle that takes care of your your beneficiaries down the line. And that's a, that's a real money play. And that's a play that a lot of people who don't look like us employ all the time. Yeah. Right. So it, it, you know, or if the single assets are a car or, you know, $10,000, I mean, how many people in your community today can benefit if you gave them $10,000 tomorrow? A lot. Right now, it's $10,000, you know, a bunch of money contextually in the real world, but it can make a real difference you know, in, in depending on which household you're work you're talking to. So it, I think sometimes the less you have, the more important it is to get it done. So what do you think about people who they're not married? They don't have kids. They don't have family. Is it important for them to have an estate? And if so, why? If you don't have anyone to leave anything to, why even have an estate? Well, yeah. So the answer is, is yes. And there are, there's a couple reasons for that, Right. First of all, estate planning applies to not just if you passed away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's just say you're you're a thriving single individual with no kids, uh, and then you get into a car accident, uh, and you have to get hospitalized. You're you're gonna live, but you're incapacitated at the moment, mm-hmm. and there are certain decisions that have to be made medical decisions that have to be made about you or for you in the moment. If you don't have a power of a living will in place or a durable power of attorney in place or a healthcare proxy in place, how are the physicians who are there at that critical moment supposed to make decisions for you Right. if you didn't give them that direction, right? Um, you know, what if, what if, I mean, look, the statistics show that you know, one in four Americans can will will in fact engage or be subject to some sort of disability. So right? it's like 25%. Mm-hmm. So you have a higher rate of being disabled than you do of dying if you're a young person. Um, you know, what what are you putting in place to take care of that what if scenario? Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and look, and even if you know you might be a young person without kids and without you know a spouse. But what if you're a very charitable person? Um, you know, wouldn't you, why would you object to having certain assets be directed to some charitable purpose that maybe you supported all these years, even if you don't have, you know, a spouse or children, or even if you don't have none of the above, 
I mean, is it really your preference today to say, well, if I die, I'll just let the government take my money and manage Because that's it. where it's going to go, right? If you leave that's, it. That's who's going to manage it, right? So, I mean, I, you know, even yeah. I, don't, I don't know of any single person that's all about trying to, you know, ask Uncle Sam to step in and manage their affairs if, <laughs> if they don't like. Unless right? they leave it to their pet, because I've heard of some people leaving their money to their pets <laughs> to take exactly, care of them. Right. You know, so it, there's. These are, you know, there, there's even a threshold, I think, for single people uh, uh, to consider when it comes to estate planning uh, that 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 is, you know, that that is worth real consideration. Yeah, you know, they might have a niece. They might have a they might have a nephew. They might have a cousin. They might have a sibling. So, you know, these things are all are all part of it. And if you don't manage your affairs. Uh, you know, you risk, you run the risk of someone else stepping into your shoes and handling your business in a way that might be contrary to what you ultimately would have preferred. Right, right. That can be a very touchy situation because I know someone who he had, he had kids, but he also had a partner. They were together for a very long time. He didn't have a will. The partner passed away. And his partner that was left behind got nothing, literally left the relationship with nothing. And I'm like, how could you not plan if something happened to you? What's going to happen to your partner? So the children ended up getting everything and he ended up getting nothing, literally had nothing to his name, having to start over. So those are other things to take into consideration, like same um, same sex relationships. If you're not legally married, that could be very devastating. And what I wanted to ask you, this might not be your your wheelhouse, but say someone is in like a same sex relationship with the scenario that I just uh, described, would that not be considered like, um, how do you say a common law marriage? Was Is there anything that that person could have done if he was with his partner for say 10 years and he got nothing out of the deal? Couldn't he go to the courts and say, hey, I was with this person for 10 years. I gave them 10 years of my life. The kids aren't sharing. Is there anything I can do in that situation? Or is he just done because of that? I mean, look, it, it depends on which state that he's in. But I do mm-hmm. think it's a really good question. And the reality is, is that it, it, it is very possible he could end up SOL, right? Right. If, if the person, if the deceased did not have, for instance, bank accounts, where they designated his partner as the TOD, right? Or, or POD, paid on death, or the beneficiary mm-hmm. of accounts. Or if the deceased had retirement accounts, but didn't designate his partner uh, to, to, you know, to kind of be a beneficiary in those accounts. Uh, and if he didn't have a will, right? Then, then, the, mm-hmm. then the, his partner's lineal descendants, those are really his, his you know, his, his sister, his brother, his 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 uh his kids right his right. parents possibly right if they're still alive you know and and whether or not his partner can make an application with the court to say that hey i'm entitled to some equitable share of the estate based on the amount of time that i live with the person i mean that that's a that's a you know a factual basis for the court of that day but mm-hmm. i do think you, it it nevertheless turns into uh it being an uphill battle Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking the same. That's yeah. uh, And like you said, it do, I think it does really depend on the state and laws right. and, and some states don't even recognize same sex relationships. So. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, 
sadly to say that it's it's a it's a newer area uh, mm. uh, of of the law, but you know, uh, well recognized now, but still very new. Right. So that might lead up to and correct me if I'm wrong, probate court. <laughs> what exactly is probate court and how do people get themselves into that situation where they have to bring a case to a probate court? Look, it, probate is is the the process of essentially um it's the legal process of how a deceased person's assets get administered um, within whatever state that they live, right? Mm-hmm. So say John Doe dies and John Doe has a will or John Doe doesn't have a will, right? Uh, now the estate of John Doe uh, has to step in and administer John Doe's assets, right? To open the estate, you kind of have to go through the probate process. Doesn't really matter what state you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and within that process, you'll have to um, seek appointment of, of, you know, the executor, right, uh, of the estate. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if there's no will and if there's no one coming in for John Doe, then the estate might appoint its own executor uh, or the state might appoint an executor in lieu of anyone else showing up. Uh, if there are beneficiaries who are there, they're going to have to, and they're more than one, and they're equally situated in terms of their rights to the estate, they're going to have to come to some agreement about who serves as the executor, the estate. There are fees for probating. Oftentimes, folks hire lawyers, probate attorneys to do this. Probate attorneys can charge contingency fees when it comes to it serving within a probate capacity, or they could charge hourly fees. It can become very expensive processes. There are many states that require that once an estate is open, it has to be open for, you know, a several period of months uh, so that creditors can be checked, so that title can be checked, so that there's just adequate time to administer the estate. That leaves a lot of time for billing (laughs) with estate planning attorneys. Um, and it, it becomes, it's also a very public process, right? So, you know, your the records and documents that are filed in probate court, they're, they're court records, they're public records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they become records to the public. So it, if, if there's some extended person of the family that uh, maybe even wasn't that close to the deceased, but now wants to, you know, wants to think that they're entitled to some share of the, the deceased assets, they can make a petition or an application with the probate court to say, hey, they're entitled, right? Right. Maybe beneficiaries can't even agree on who should be appointed executor, maybe because there's already some infighting within the family, right? If they mm-hmm. can't come to a consensus, then there's like a big brouhaha about that in the probate court. And then the court might have to come in and step in and appoint a third party, right? In lieu of the persons who were in line to receive, you know, the benefits of the estate. Um, so it, 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 it is literally the court process that's in place to, you know, administer um, a deceased person's assets. And um, frankly, our, our kind of modus operandi in this space at Axel and a lot of estate, estate planning attorneys, I think, follow suit with this, is that we try to make sure we set up estates for individuals so that they do not have to go through probate. For all these reasons that I mentioned, because it can be expensive, because it can be invasive, because it's a it, it can, you know, take away the privacy of, you know, the affairs of the person 
of the deceased and of all those things going wrong with their personal affairs. Um, and, and there are ways to do that. And there are black letter law ways of doing this that have existed for a very, very long time. Uh, and that's really the recommended way of going, uh, I think, when it comes to estate planning. And that's honestly uh, the method that a lot of our higher net worth clients employ when they're devising their estate plans. Yeah, because you see a lot of that with celebrities. Like um, I can name so many. Prince, for example, that was a mess. Prince, James Brown, so many celebrities that you... (laughs) Yeah, so so many celebrities you think that they have it together and they pass away and no will. Like Right, Right. and so not only no will, and then you've got, you know, lots of beneficiaries trying to claw in, lots of creditors trying to claw in, uh, lots of people who don't have nothing, don't have any real standing to, to any. They're of like their 19th cousin or something right, like that. Right, but they want to come in <laughs> and write. And so the, the textbook way of avoiding all that is creating what they call a revocable living trust, mm-hmm. funding the trust with your assets, creating a pour over will that works in conjunction with the revocable living trust. Um And that way it captures those assets that were not referenced in the trust and redirects them back to the trust. If in fact, there's a portion of the deceased person's estate that has to get probated. Uh, And and then that way you can really customize how you want your assets to be handled to by whom you want them handled and to whom you want them to go. And I think that's really the way to go. So I actually have a lot of uh, questions sprinkled in from our audience. A lot of them are anonymous, actually all of them, because like you said, it's public and they don't want their business out there. So I did tell them that my questions to you today would be anonymous. Um, One person wanted to know they're in a situation where there is an executor and they don't like that person. They want to know how is there a way to get that person removed? Like, how do you remove them um, from the, I guess, from the process? Is that possible? And if so, what can they do to get that person removed from overseeing everything? Well, yeah. So the answer is, is I I don't, probably from state to state, the process is a little different, but generally Mm -hmm. it's the same, right? If you have a beneficiary that's not satisfied or beneficiaries that aren't satisfied with how the executor is handling the estate, the appointed executor, um, you can petition to have that person changed, right? You can make an application with the court uh, to say why this person shouldn't serve that role anymore. The, the challenge is, and the threshold will vary by state, but generally the challenge is, is you're not gonna, you can't just say, well, I don't want this person who went through the process of getting appointed to no longer serve in this capacity because I don't know, like them. They're wearing, they're wearing <laughs> clothes that are that right. are clashing today, right? You know, and it, you have to demonstrate why they're you know unfit to serve in that role. Maybe there's a conflict of interest that was not previously disclosed. Mm. Maybe there's a demonstration of how the assets are being wasted um, to the detriment of other beneficiaries. Uh, you, you have to have, you know, reasons. You're going to have to outline them as to why this person shouldn't serve in that capacity any longer, right? Uh, and it can't just be because, um, you know, we we uh, we had an argument, right? right. It, it has to usually be a deeper reason than that. 
But even if there is someone appointed executor, how those assets are, are to be distributed and disseminated to the other beneficiaries, including maybe sometimes the executor themselves, mm-hmm. it still has to have a uniform agreement amongst those who are in line to take, right? And so even that's really the restraint there on the executor is that even if you don't like how they're managing things, the, the final approval for how the plan goes down needs to be approved mm-hmm. uniformly by the beneficiaries. And if they don't uniformly approve, then they have to bring all their disapproval and all their grievances to the court. And then the court makes a decision. Right? That's a long process. <laughs> long process. It can be expensive process. Yeah. And sometimes it can be a very uninviting process. But that's a generally just, you know, on a very high level how it works. So I wanted to circle back. We touched on wills earlier. And my question to you is, I know that we need one, but old school wills, like our grandparents, like my grandmother, she wrote a will. She didn't have an attorney. And I see a lot of this. She wrote it down on a yellow notepad. This is what I want to do. This is who I want my money to go to. I want my house to go here. This person, this child has my savings account. Is that good enough? Why can't people just write it down? That Does that stand up in court? Well, look, generally speaking... You know, you or I, you know, can sign on to some, you know, legal service online, right? Or at least we can get legal forms online and generate mm-hmm. a will. We can pop fill in the blanks um, and 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 get it going. The the exception though is is that most states require that the person who's creating the will, they have to kind of swear, they have to produce, you know, ID that they are who they say they are. And then you usually right. have to have at least two witnesses to witness execution of this will, right? And it has to kind of say that this is kind of like my final testament and will, right? So you need that declaratory language in the in the document itself. And you're also going to need two attesting witnesses. Usually they're 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 witnesses who are disinterested from the signing person that that will give it more legitimacy. But mm-hmm. I will say um you know Sharon that a will is not enough. Right. right. I mean, if, if there's anything to take home from well, anything I say today, my personal opinion is for any family at any asset level, I don't even care if you're an only child. Right. right? A will is not enough. Right. I strongly recommend that when you're putting together your estate planning documents, you need your revocable living trust and your pour over will and your health care proxy or, you know, and or durable power of attorney. Um and you need all those documents, you know, in place all together. And what was then, the first document revoking? What's that? I'm not familiar it, with that. It is the it is a an RLT revocable uh, living trust, right? A trust document, right? Is 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 essentially another form, right? Mm-hmm. It's a trust. Trust law goes back to you know hundreds of decades, hundreds of years in the U.S. Right? You create a trust, and in the trust. It's a it's a private document, essentially an agreement that you create as a as the creator, the trust creator yourself, mm-hmm. where you designate what assets you own and to whom you want them to be to go to. And in that document, you'll identify the trustee who is essentially the person who will be the steward of your assets in the event that you pass away. Mm-hmm. And, and then you make sure that the assets that you want to go into the trust are retitled in the name of the trust 
or, or position to go to the trust legally or contractually in the event uh, that you pass away. The revocable living trust is a document that bypasses probate mm, by law. Okay. I don't care where you are. Right? right. So it, it, it will, it, it's, it will be the, it will, instead of the will, it will be the go-to document that the family uses, that the trustee will use uh-huh. to determine what assets go where based on the trust creators intentions and directives that were included in the trust document. Okay. That is how you bypass probate. Then in, in conjunction or with your revocable living trust, then you have what they call a pour over will, literally P-O-U-R, pour, like as in pouring, right? right? <laughs> a pour over will, they call it. And the whole purpose behind the pour over will is to catch the assets that um, you may have excluded or, or maybe you didn't include for whatever reason. Maybe you got mm-hmm. it later on in life that you didn't mention in your trust or that you didn't have retitled in your trust. And so for those assets that are not in trust, they obviously have to go through probate. But your pour over will is intended to net those assets. And in its language, it says that any other assets not included in the trust, blah, blah, mm-hmm. for so-and-so must be redirected according to the terms and conditions of trust document formed and incorporated so by so-and-so on such and such date. That is how... Ooh. that sounds so difficult that is how it's done and as easy as it is to get a will online you can also from the same source you can get uh you know the template of a revocable living trust now do i recommend that you do all that by yourself i do not i do think you get an attorney or you know and and to someone to help set this up for you but this is how you avoid probate this is how you can save money and this is really the primary way on how you can really start directing and ensuring that things go down the way that you want them to go down in the event, you know, you're, you're not around anymore. How, how old should we be, should we be when we start thinking about wills? Like if somebody's 18, they're not thinking about a will, God forbid, if something happens. But what age do you think that we should start thinking about? I think as early as possible. I mean, there are some life triggers that really start making you think about other people other than yourself. Like you're married, right? I guess then you start thinking about, okay, there's someone else around (laughs) you might need to take care of. Kids um, might be that trigger. You know, but there are other life, life events outside of people. Let's say maybe you bought your first home, right? And, you know, now you have a mortgage, you know, and it's going to be, you know, 30 years from now until your mortgage is paid. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> if, if you're not around to pay the mortgage and you pass away, that's a debt on your estate. Right. Or right. someone's going to have to piggyback that after you. So so, it, it, you know, you know, certain life events can 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 really trigger that discussion. Let's say you start a business. Let's say you started with a partner. And even if you are single and then suddenly something happens to you and you're no longer able to serve in the business, right? And let's just say you are a really, really vital part to that partnership. Mm-hmm. What do they do, right? Uh, what's the succession plan if you're not there? What if the business was really viable, right? Who's making sure that your interest or ownership in, interest in that business gets handed off to at least 
someone of, you know, in your family or in your million who, who could have benefited from your ownership interest? Or are you cool with just transitioning everything that you owned and, and built in that business to your partners? Maybe that's the case, that, but that may not be, right? And, and it often is not, right? Right. Um, so, so, you know, it, 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 you know, those, those kind of life events really start making people think about estate planning. Maybe, maybe you, you just, you know, you, you're at a job and you've been there for a while and you've developed a decent amount of retirement assets. You've been maxing out your 401k every year. You want to retire in 15 to 20 years. Um, you just want, you know, and then you're thinking about your retirement years and what that will look like. What will your tax obligations look like? What will your lifestyle look like? That also is a time to start thinking about estate plan. So, you know, or frankly, maybe you live in an environment where there's a pandemic raging through the national population. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just hypothetically, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the pandemic turned out to be pretty deadly for, for more people than not. Uh, or maybe less people than not, but but for, for certain demographics tend up being very deadly. Yeah. Um, you know, may, maybe that might make you start thinking, hey, maybe I need to take care of some things. Right, you know? right, right, right. So, it, you know, all jokes aside, like these, these life events, and even in our recent times, whether you've been subject to COVID or not, many of us either have know people who've had to go through it or been through it ourselves mm -hmm. or had some people who've suffered losses or know people who've suffered losses as a result of it, or we've read about it, right? I mean, these times really make us think more about our mortality than ever before, right? right. But for, you know, for people like look like us, our mortality has always been on <laughs> in target, right? Yes. So, you know, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's an institutional issue or a community issue or a, a community health issue, I mean, these are all things that have always been on the chalkboard for when it comes to African-Americans in the U.S. So, I mean, the, yeah. the, these are, you know, these are all kind of triggers. So I would say right away, you know, and particularly if you encounter any of these life events that we're talking about. Definitely. I, I agree with that. Stay tuned. Our special edition of Estate Planning, Why Making a Will Isn't Enough is coming up next. <laughs> 